0: few weeks ago, I did an episode about how I'm conflicted about social media. And shortly after I did that episode, I started reading a book called The Myth of Normal. And the following week's episode, or the solo episode, mind you, because on Mondays, I do solo episodes, just me talking about life and thoughts, experiences, and Fridays are my days with guests. So the following Monday after that episode about being conflicted about social media, I followed up with it because as I started reading The Myth of Normal, I started to gain some more clarity. I was so into that book and I haven't finished it yet because as is typical for me in my reading style, I started reading several other books. (laughs) I was thinking about this the other day, like, why do I struggle to finish a book? And I'll, I'll explain is I use this amazing free tool called Libby which is owned by this company called Overdrive that I've been using for, I can't even remember how long. It is just amazing. I'm so glad that more people are using this tool because it allows you to borrow books digitally from your library. If you have never used it before, it's One of those things that I would feel devastated if I didn't have access to anymore, and you can actually have multiple library cards at multiple libraries around the country. I don't know if it's just for the United States. There's at least an equivalent in Canada because I know someone who uses that there too. And Libby is really nice because you go on and you can search for books and borrow them With popular books, you often have to wait, sometimes several months. And I'm constantly going on there and putting books on hold. And then they arrive, and I feel a sense of urgency to read them. And that is a system I still have to figure out for myself because I've noticed how it interrupts my flow. That's a little behind the scenes. If you're ever wondering, like, why do I skip around? Why do I talk about so many books? I go through a lot of phases where I'm reading a lot. I I listen to a ton of audiobooks. And I'm trying to actually read more and more. I'm also, by the way, trying to read more physical books, and that ties into today's topic. And it's all related to social media as well. So I would say books and social media will be a big theme of this episode. Before I dive into those topics, a little update on life is I'm recording this a few days before the end of 2022. And it's interesting, I felt The last three days, a ton of anxiety, reminds me of how I felt right after Thanksgiving 2022, where I felt so much heaviness, and I started feeling a similar sense the day after Christmas, which I celebrate. And it was a little bit different because I didn't have nearly as much social stimulation on Christmas as I did on Thanksgiving, if you didn't listen to that Episode post Thanksgiving, I mentioned how being around a ton of people for a holiday was really wonderful, but extremely draining for me. And Christmas, I felt like I approached very consciously, really tried to tune into what was going to make me feel my best. And I spent so much time thinking of gifts for my close loved ones. And really felt nourished by that. I also came up with a list of gifts I would feel nourished by, and I received some of them plus some amazing surprises from loved ones that gifted things to me. I mean, Christmas felt extremely generous. That was really fulfilling to me. And I also spent time thinking about like how I wanted to spend the day and the day, and Christmas Eve. And I stayed in Los Angeles instead of visiting my family in Massachusetts, which brought up some emotions this year that felt a little surprising. I don't know if the depression I was feeling, if that's the right word, like anxiety has definitely been there, but I I also felt depressed the last couple of days. And that was unexpected because I'm fortunate not to feel depressed that frequent. I feel low moods a lot, but it felt more like depression- and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I wondered, was it that I was sad that Christmas was over? Like that morning of the holidays. We spend so much time society culturally gearing up for the holidays and all of that. I have this really cool Christmas tree set up this year with lights and decorations and I was playing Christmas music. I have my holiday candles, which smell like fresh cedar and all, you know, all those plants and and now that it's over, I, I just I feel uncomfortable, and New Year's is just a few days away as of the time I'm recording this, and I feel some pressure to celebrate that in a certain way. And now I'm afraid. Like, what if I have another day or two or several after New Year's? That's that feels intense. So I've been really trying to be mindful of how I can support myself. Now, <laughs> Granted, did, it, and I'm, this might've been the case last time. I'll have to go back to see using my tracking software, which I also want to share with you before getting into today's topic of social media and, and books and all that, that I've been very intentional about tracking, probably inspired by my therapy sessions where I've been doing so much work around some of my exploration around neurodivergence which helps me understand myself so much better. And also my therapist and I, have spend a lot of time exploring my sleep challenges. And I've talked a little bit about, and may eventually do a bigger episode on my sleep disorder, which I'm still trying to get to the root of. I did an MRI and an EEG. I did a sleep study last year. Just the past year has been a deeper dive into my sleep issues. And I started tracking my sleep very closely my favorite christmas gift i will say is along that line and i'm going to hold it up for the eventual youtube version of it but for those just listening to the audio it is a device called the whoop w h o o p and it is a wearable device that tracks your heart rate and various other biometrics i think if biometrics is the right term it's measuring you throughout the day now i also wear the apple watch so Right now, it looks a little interesting because I have a Apple Watch on one hand and my Whoop on the other. And so part of me is like, wow, I'm really <laughs> like connected to all this tech, which is going to be a big theme of today's episode. But the Whoop is something I've been thinking about for a while. My sister got one a few months ago and was raving about it. She too wanted to look at her sleep. She also is an athlete. So she was measuring her activity and she wanted to learn more about like taking good care of her body. And I was actually considering the aura ring, which is something I've been thinking about for years And it, I felt like a little bit leaning more towards the whoops. I went with that. It's a hard decision because I've heard great things about the Aura Ring too. I'm so tempted. Like, should I get that as well? (laughs) I I don't think wearing three pieces of tech measurements are necessary nor might not even be beneficial. Anyways, the whoop I started using to just a few days ago to track my sleep and better measure my... Activity, my daily activity, which I've been measuring on my Apple Watch for quite some time. I love tracking how much I exercise, stand, how many calories approximately I'm burning, not from like a weight standpoint, but just like making sure I'm getting enough activity and movement for my overall health, because that drastically impacts things like anxiety and depression, stress, all of that. And through the tracking, I've actually been able to make better decisions for myself and I'm learning to discover patterns. So for me, with the neurodivergent side, like I've been able to just pay more attention to how I'm feeling throughout the day, how certain things impact me. I also use a app called Bearable. I've mentioned it in the past. Actually, I'm gonna make some notes right now in real time to <laughs> ensure that I put all of these resources for you in the show notes. If you haven't been to the show notes for this podcast before, it's at wellevator Dot .com that's w e l l e v a t r.com so bearable you can use for free the apple watch and the whoop are, cost money and and they are more premium things I, I was so excited to get the whoop for a christmas gift so i didn't have to buy it myself and I just want to be transparent that some of these tools are expensive. And that's why I've waited a while to get them. I, that's why I haven't gotten the Aura Ring, for example. I, the Whoop and the Aura Ring, I think, start around like $200, 250 ish depending on all these things. You have to sign up for monthly membership. So it's a little bit of a drag. In fact, my Whoop, the device itself is, quote, free but you pay a monthly or yearly fee for it. And the gift that I received was for a whole year, which is cool. So I'll I'll keep you posted next year (laughs) when I have done the full year and see if I continue using that. But it's really amazing. It tracks sleep in a way that I've never really seen with my Apple Watch. And now I'm just trying to figure out my sleep disorder through that and also see the connection between my anxiety and my stress and trying to see like, what's going on with my cortisol, my hormones. I mean, all of these things are just becoming bigger and bigger parts of my life. And not from a, what's the term called, biohacking or health hacking. Those terms kind of trigger me a little bit. In fact, it's ironic, and this will slowly start to get me into the t- today's topic around a specific book and the subject of social media and technology in general, is that I've been very drawn to measurements and simultaneously... Extremely turned off by them. I wonder sometimes about why personal development appeals to me so much. And I feel like I'm trying to find the answers and sometimes getting some really great clues through the books I read. Like The Myth of Normal is a great example because in that book, as I talked about in my follow up to social media a few weeks ago, I wonder if my feelings around social media are tied into the desire for validation and childhood trauma, perhaps. That's something I'm also thinking about a lot as I explore with my therapist. I wonder, like, is there some hidden traumas in my life. Am I actually neurodivergent? Or did I experience some trauma that I've buried so deep that I don't even recall it? I mean, that's a whole nother subject. And I don't know if I'll ever get the answer fully to that because I don't know of any. But sometimes that's scary. Like, it talked about... Maybe it was in that Myth of Normal episode that the difference between capital T trauma and lowercase t trauma. And I think it's in the Myth of Normal that explores how most of us have experienced some sort of lowercase trauma or lowercase t trauma. And that's not to minimize the two. It's just they're different. They're different in terms of how we respond to them. So this, these are the things that I'm discovering, exploring constantly. And I do see quite a connection to social media. So I think with my other updates aside, I would say that for me, tracking myself through tools and technology is very useful. You certainly could do a lot of this by journaling. My therapist has been recommending that I journal sleep, like uh, my dreams, I mean, and sleep, like how I slept. So if I really wanted to, I could probably track all of these things by hand. Now, I wouldn't have the data that something like a Whoop device gives me in which I'm able to actually see my heart rate overnight, that to me is extremely helpful. But given some of the drawbacks of technology that I'm starting to explore in a deeper way, now that my career is no longer as connected to it, certainly a huge part of my career is done through technology. Actually, all of it is now that I think about it. And that's probably where a lot of the conflict comes from. Even my well-being coaching that I'm leaning more into is done virtually. I don't know if doing in-person sessions is something that I would really want to do. There's so many drawbacks to that. It's not as accessible and office spaces and on and on. So for me, using virtual tools and tech has been the cornerstone, the foundation of my work and my career. But I'm also willing to explore it on a deeper level. I wouldn't be talking to you right now if it weren't for technology. You wouldn't be listening to this if it weren't for technology. And I have felt a deep love and curiosity for tech my whole life, more so than a lot of people, if not most people I've known. It's, I have always been someone who has been a little bit more fascinated and passionate about computers, for example, since more so than most people that in my life meaning like I could geek out about tech software and and hardware I used to work for the at the Apple store like i remember that job brought me so much joy because i was immersed in it i was learning constantly but even at the Apple store i was actually someone there that ha- seemed to have had more enthusiasm and knowledge than a lot of my colleagues because believe it or not, to work at the Apple store, at least over the period of time that I was there, they would generally hire you based on your personality more than they would your knowledge of tech. I think back in the quote day, like it was incredibly competitive to get a job at Apple. At one point, I think maybe around the time I was hired there, it was harder to get a job at Apple, this is at least the rumor, than getting into Harvard. And so when I got in, I was like, whoa, I was new to using Apple products regularly. I used them when I was in college and also throughout my education in elementary school and high school. But I remember going into working at Apple feeling like I didn't know a ton. And over time, I learned a lot and expanded because I was really interested in it. And that was a big part of my journey with social media too. I mean, what I love about Apple products is they are, are made for creativity. Creativity is like the foundation I've always felt about Apple. They're not exclusive to that, but a lot of creative types use their products. They feel intuitive. They've been designed to be different. And that always appealed to me too. In fact, in the past, I'm not sure how much they focus on this now, but the core of the marketing angle with Apple was around being different. And I've always felt different and thus, the neurodivergence is in alignment with that too, and there was a lean into social media. I felt a lot through my time with Apple, and there was like um some sort of correlation and Just looking back at the history of apple, there's a lot of parallels between the history of a lot of the big social media platforms too so it's interesting how I felt drawn to all of that and then when I examine books like the Myth of Normal, thinking, huh, was I drawn to that because?" I felt different and I wanted to be accepted? Or was I trying to continue being different because that's where I got my validation? Maybe it's both. I've wondered why I'm an early adopter. Am I an early adopter? Because I love technology and I'm excited to try things. and I don't want to wait. And I'm generally willing to try something new. Whereas a lot of people want to wait and see other people do it first. I'm very drawn to the new. I'm drawn to the different. I'm drawn to the novelty. And when something doesn't feel new, when it feels too crowded, I start to lose interest. And I've been really reflecting on that with my social media history. So now I want to share this book that I've been teasing, the book that put my reading of The Myth of Normal on pause. And this book is called Stolen Focus. (laughs) And it's currently become my, it's my current book obsession. (laughs) If you haven't noticed this about me, when I read a book I love, I can't stop thinking about it, talking about it, referencing it. I just get so deeply curious about certain books. And what's the term I'm looking for? Like a hyper fixated on it. It's interesting though, because I don't always have the band. (laughs) This is kind of funny. I don't feel like I have the desire to focus or drop everything to read. And this book is actually helping me examine why. So let me start off with a little preference, a little overview of this book, which the full name is Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention, and How to Think Deeply Again. It's written by Johan Hari. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. And I don't even remember how I came across this book. I really wish I did know because of how much it's impacting me. And I will link to this along with the Myth of Normal book, everything else I reference in the show notes for you. It's a New York Times bestseller. I don't know if that means too much to people, but it makes sense because it's described as a groundbreaking examination of why our ability to pay attention is collapsing and how to get it back. I've made it through about 50% of the book. So there may be a follow-up episode to this as well as The Myth of Normal. My goal is to finish this book because I'm just feeling like I'm getting so many deep answers of this, answers from this book, I should say. And here's the description. In the United States, teenagers can focus on one task for 65 seconds at a time. And office workers average only three minutes. Like so many of us, Johan Hari was finding that constantly switching from device to device and tab to tab was a diminishing and depressing way to live. He tried all sorts of self-help solutions, even abandoning his phone for three months, but nothing seemed to work. So Hari went on an epic journey around the world to interview the leading experts on human attention, and he discovered that everything we know about this crisis is wrong. We think our inability to focus is a personal failure to exert enough willpower over our devices. The truth is even more disturbing. Our focus has been stolen by powerful external forces that have left us uniquely vulnerable to corporations determined to raid our attention for profit. Hari found that there are 12 deep causes of this crisis, from the decline of mind-wandering to rising pollution, all of which have robbed some of our attention. I'll pause there. There's a longer description, but whoo, it's heavy. But it is so incredibly well written. I remember how I felt when I first started listening to the audiobook. So as I often do, I've been doing the audiobook and reading the written word and not even in sync. So I go on a daily walk right now. I meant to say this earlier, but this has been part of my routine for the last few weeks. It's really made a big difference for me physically and mentally. I take my dog. We go for about a mile walk around the neighborhood. And I usually listen to an audiobook. And I remember exactly where I was when I first, um, like on the street, on the block, when I first heard this. And this book begins with, and I hope I'm saying this now, I'm just going to say the author recounting an experience related to Elvis. And it was such a great, piece of the book because it seems to have nothing to do with it, but it really drew me in. And his writing is so remarkable to me. I'm constantly in awe of how he phrases things. I pulled up notes to share with you and could not believe it since I'm only 50% through this book. (laughs) I've highlighted 227 lines in this book which overwhelms me. Luckily, I've narrowed down to about 15 or so that were really amazing to me. And that's why I think this could be several parts and I'll probably continue to reference this book over and over. So I just feel like there's so many visuals to it. And by the way, he has written, I think two other books. One is called Chasing the Scream, which I think that's about drug addiction, and Lost Connections. And I remember my former co-host, Jason, talking about Lost Connections. I tried to read that book, and somehow I didn't get drawn in. But now I'm like, can't wait to read everything. I believe also he's done a TED Talk. So you could go down the rabbit hole. He's been in podcasts. He's someone I add to my list of people to invite on the show one day. So this book has just helped me reflect a lot on why I felt found social media to be conflicting. As I've given the background to my personal interest in social media as well as professionally, I felt a lot of challenging, confusing emotions. And now I feel like I want to step as... (laughs) I even hesitate to say this because it sounds a little extreme. I was going to say I want to step as far away from social media as possible, but I don't know if that's true. One, because As the book has started to get to in the sections that I've read up to so far, there are a lot of benefits to social media, and I don't know how I would fully replace that. I've been experimenting with it because I haven't been using it much lately. For instance, on the Wellevator social media accounts, I think the only time I've posted in the past five to six months has been a few tweets, maybe some stories. I go on to the Instagram for WellEvator just to see if there are messages from listeners like you, and occasionally I get them there. But even with that, I don't like the container. In fact, I've been really wondering if I should stop encouraging listeners to reach out to me on Instagram because I don't enjoy it anymore. I find it really overstimulating, even just to open up the app and go to the messaging section. So I wouldn't be surprised if I used... 2023 to wean myself off of using that at all. Like, Maybe I'll turn off messaging. And that feels scary because I'm cutting off an access point. And as I've been looking at the cons of social media and, and, and weighing them out with the pros of it, I feel like I'll be cut off socially from a lot of people, maybe even including you. I felt the same with Facebook. I barely use Facebook. I feel like even Facebook Marketplace is not something that I enjoy for selling things. Like That was a saving grace. Facebook groups, they feel incredibly overstimulating and confusing. And I just don't enjoy a lot of social media anymore from a personal level. Twitter was a place I enjoyed for a while because it was mostly just text and you could like pick up things in nuggets. But wow, there's a line about Twitter in Stolen Focus that just blew me away. And hopefully I'll get to that. (laughs) in this episode. But I just have been noticing that it feels like not only is it stealing away my focus, but it contributing to anxiety and it's not adding to joy for me. And it doesn't even feel fully necessary. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned since I started slowly distancing myself from social media in 2020. When I started my transition away from the Ego Vegan Gal brand that I spent... 11, 12 years building, noticing that that wasn't really that hard. I don't feel like I'm missing out that much. Occasionally, opportunities come up, but they're really not even that worth it from a career standpoint. They're definitely not from a personal standpoint. So let me go back to that because I feel like that's a little bit more relatable since not everybody has a career using social media. I have noticed in general, communication and socializing are really, really hard. And I don't know if they always have been hard for me and I've done such a great job masking, or if I'm feel like something shifted in me and maybe socializing feels different all of a sudden. Some people say that about the pandemic and the shifts that's happened. I don't know. I don't know what the source is. I just feel like it's different. Now most communication feels incredibly challenging and there's a very limited number of people that I feel comfortable talking to and comfortable in the sense where it's like an ease and a desire. There are people in my life who I deeply love and have respect for, but I don't feel that full ease talking to them. It feels hard. I feel a resistance, actually. I've noticed this. And maybe the word resistance plays a big role in how I'm feeling with social media too. It's like noticing that I was doing it because it was like fitting in, I guess, versus doing it because it, it brought me deep satisfaction and connection. One thing that the book Stolen Focus touches upon a few times is how social media isn't designed truly for us to socialize. It maybe wasn't the beginning, but now at the end of 2022, the beginning of 2023, it's actually become very centered around capitalism. And that's probably where it's disturbing. In general, capitalism makes me feel uneasy. I'm grateful for the access to buy things. I'm grateful for the things that have been developed for all different types of needs in the world. But we clearly have an issue with our finances. And as the book Stolen Focus points out over and over again, people have learned some really big manipulation tactics using social media to convince us to buy things that we don't really need and to use our money in a way that doesn't serve us in the long term. And it's also pulled us away from deep connections with one another and driven us towards superficial connection as well as disagreement. That was one of the most heartbreaking parts of reading this book was a section about how things like anger and hate and disagreements and negativity in general lead to more social media engagement. They're triggering something within us on a psychological level that almost becomes addicting. It's like a car accident on the street. We as human beings have a tendency to slow down, to stop, to rubberneck, whatever, when there's an accident. And then that leads to this long traffic buildup that none of us enjoy. This happened to me almost every time. Like I'll sit in traffic for a long time and I'm so frustrated, but then I continue to contribute to the traffic because I too will slow down. It's so hard to not look at an accident. The news has tapped into this. So much of the news is driven by the most awful things. The media, it's all sensationalized. And so because many of us spend a lot of time on social media... A lot of us are exposed to negative things that we probably don't really want in our life, but it's hard to turn away from. And the manipulation there that, A, we are shown a lot of that because the social media apps want us to spend as much time as possible on them so that they can make money. This is a capitalism side of it, so that they can sell us things, so that they can show us ads. It's part of their ad model. And this book, Stolen Focus, is not the only one that talks about this. This is pretty common knowledge, but not everybody is aware of it. It's easy to access information, I should say. Maybe it's not common knowledge. But I wouldn't say that this is a necessarily biased viewpoint. I think it's pretty factual, because I've been hearing this over and over again for years, and maybe just turned a blind eye to it. And... This explains for me why I feel uncomfortable about like a lot of media in general, like gossip and celebrity news and all that. Like so much of it is centered around making fun of people, shaming people, pointing out their flaws, highlighting their mistakes, canceling them, quote, accountability that isn't really accountability. And I think I've witnessed this shift away from the social side of social media and away from the educational and the inspirational, which I think that's what drew me into it. Social media to me was a form of connection and expression. When I first started using that, when I signed up for Facebook, which was probably in 2004 or five, was so much about connecting with people I went to school with. That's how most people use Facebook in the beginning. That's like what Facebook was created for. And and I've read about the history of Facebook and I don't fully know it all off the top of my head. I'd be curious to see the evolution of when the money side started to come into play. Like how early on did Mark Zuckerberg start thinking about how to make money from Facebook versus like that tool of kind of popularity? I mean, he he wasn't even using Facebook for good in the beginning. If you've seen the movie, The Social Network or read about Facebook, it's like, he was literally putting pictures of people's faces up. And I I think the first version of Facebook, it was like women that he went to school with and they were rating their appearance and they were just checking in on each other, you know? And I remember hearing about it and it was just like curiosity about one another. It was a virtual yearbook or something, but it was updated constantly and you could spy on people and chat with people, all that stuff. And so I wouldn't say it was innocent, but much more innocent than it feels today. And Twitter, I started using a few years after that. And I don't know. I mean, there was news on Twitter back then. And certainly for me, I was starting to experiment with the marketing side of it. It was promoting my Eco Vegan Gal blog and YouTube channel and all that stuff. And And that's where the myth of normal side of the equation comes in because I was starting to get validation. I was featured in some roundups of the top Twitter accounts to follow. And that gave me all this validation. And once I started building and growing views and likes and subscribers and followers and all that stuff, it was very validating. And then when that stuff slowed down, it was a big chip to my ego, you know? And so I think... This impacts people personally and professionally. Everybody that's used social media has experienced the high of getting a lot of likes, a lot of attention, because it's happened to virtually everybody. That's just the way social media is designed. I mean, I'm sure there are some examples of people who have never received a like or a heart before, but due to the way social media works, at least your network of friends are going to give you some sort of attention. They're going to see your photos and they're going to think it's cute or funny, or maybe they don't even like it, but they're liking it to be nice and supportive, or they're liking it to mock you, you know, like all this behavior. And that has been designed to trigger us to feel good and continue doing it. And then our natural curiosity to see what other people are doing and, and the observation, the, what's the term, when you observe other people kind of spy on them, I mean, that's just tapped into our, our human tendencies. And then when the careers around social media, for me at the beginning, in addition to marketing my own work, I started realizing people would pay me to teach them how to use social media. And so that was that was and still is in some ways part of my career. And now I'm re- reevaluating that because to be honest, social media marketing is extremely complicated. It, it's positioned as being easy and hackable and all this, but it's actually quite expensive and it's not easy for everybody. And that there's just so many misconceptions. And I think actually the cons of social media have really outweighed the pros for a ton of people, but it's hard to admit that because it's such a huge part of our society. So let me dive into the quotes from Stolen Focus and how I've been reflecting on all of this. And I'm probably going to move at a slower pace as I read through it. As I mentioned, there's over 200 highlights (laughs) so far. And I'll just be pulling out some of the phrases that are giving me food for thought and perhaps you food for thought too. The first highlight I have in this book is a reference to that section about Elvis, which will make more sense if you decide to read it. And the author says, It was like that person had broken into smaller, disconnected fragments. He struggled to stay with a topic of conversation for more than a few minutes without jerking back to the screen or abruptly switching to another topic. And this is something I've noticed too. This book isn't just about social media. It's heavily focused on that. But that section reminds me of technology in general and how it has disconnected us from one another. You know, as I talk about all these tools that I'm using to monitor myself, there could be ways in which that's distracting me. You know, like, am I too focused on meeting the number of steps I need? Like so many of us, right? Like anyone who has an Apple Watch has probably experimented with this activity monitor and on mine, I have it on my screen and every day I try to meet the minimums and it's become almost this obsession, this desire to hit my streaks. So streaks in general for a lot of us can be a bit distracting and it's easy to obsess over them. And I just am trying to be very mindful because I've noticed how uncomfortable I feel around people who are having a conversation with me while simultaneously looking at their computer or their phone. It, it is such an unpleasant experience because you don't have their full attention or their focus. They are maybe waiting for the conversation to be over so that they can get back to their phone or their computer and check their email or look on Facebook or check their text messages. Or They're trying to have a conversation with you and multitask at the same time. That Multitasking is actually a part of this book. And since I'm not going to get to every section in detail, the point made is that many of us believe that we have the ability to multitask, but technically we don't. Our brains aren't wired that way. Multitasking is actually a phrase taken from computers, (laughs) which I don't think I knew before I read this, that the computers can multitask. Technology can do things that we can. And we're trying to, in some ways, like join ourselves with technology. And I think that's really cool. You know, like I'm using the Whoop device because it can do things that I can't. I can't remember what my heart rate was and keep track of it in the same way that this can. I'm not able to track myself when I'm unconscious and sleeping. So technology is supporting me with that, right? Technology can do multitasking, but it can't actually support us to multitask because we're unable to truly multitask. And yet we try to do it constantly. And society, culturally, we've been conditioned to believe that we can do things like this or misled perhaps to believe that we can. And so when you're holding your phone and scrolling through it while having a conversation, you're not actually focusing or paying attention on either the conversation or the device, but yet that has become culturally acceptable. That's the first section. Elvis doesn't have too much to do with the quote I read, but if you do read the book, you'll see. It's a little a little teaser for you. And the same section is talking about how it's hard to gain any traction in our minds through this. How we've lost our capacity for concentration. And he said in one of his eloquent phrasings, it's as if it was a friend who had vanished one day at sea and never been seen since. And that to me is heartbreaking. That's, that's why I got drawn into this book because I thought, wow, there's one person in my life who I don't want to call out publicly, so I won't give any details about who they are, but it has been an ongoing struggle. It's, it's been an ongoing struggle with many people in my life because I'm very sensitive to things like this. I like to have deep, focused, connected conversations. I don't like small talk. I understand distraction because I believe I am likely someone with ADHD, although still on my journey for full diagnosis of that. But I know what it's like to get distracted. I know what it's like to feel understimulated and be seeking out more stimulation. I think that's why phones and tech are so great. They stimulate me. I love my MetaQuest VR headset. It's so stimulating I can notice when I feel understimulated and my desire to get some sort of stimulation, but I'm practicing being mindful of that. And it's ironic that in the middle of a conversation, so many of us don't feel stimulated. So maybe that says more about the conversation, right? Like maybe we need to seek out more stimulating conversations versus trying to get stimulation from something else and have a conversation at the same time, which actually Dulls down our human connection, and it leads to that feeling of like that person's checked out. They're not with me. They're not they're they've vanished into the sea. they've I'll never see them again because all I'm having are surface level conversations with them. That's like my worst nightmare. And so there's one person in my life who it's an ongoing argument, it has been for years. I remember when texting was really becoming a big part of our communication styles and I was a bit resistant to texting, I think mostly because it was expensive at the time. <laughs> like years ago before we most phones were like unlimited depending on your your age range, right there I don't even know when this was. let's say I remember one of my jobs it was probably pre 2010 for sure that it cost a lot of money to text. And then eventually the phone system services started to switch over to unlimited. And I think that's the standard now. So pre-unlimited text, I would be like very careful about how many texts I sent out because I don't want to go pay extra for them. And I was like, oh, I'll you know just have a phone call. And now I'm kind of the opposite. <laughs> so I much prefer text to phone calls. The texts are less stimulating for me and I don't want to be overstimulated by communication. Ironic, right? Like This is why this is all so complicated. It depends on the setting. There are times where I want to sit with someone and make eye contact and be engrossed in a deep conversation and other times where I want as little information as possible. Anyway, so I remember as text messaging was becoming a standard communication form, this one person in my life would be so distracted at the dinner table, texting away. And I would think, wow, that seems kind of rude to me. Here we are trying to have a meal together. But I too participated in this As the, with the rise of social media. I remember the opposite happening where I would go out to eat a meal with somebody and I'd be so focused on taking a great picture and I would check in to the locations. People still kind of do this, but back in the day, there was this app called Foursquare, which I don't think exists anymore and i became obsessed with it i wanted to check in everywhere i went every restaurant i went to i would i would want to write a review of it take a picture i still kind of do that this day but not in real time but back then it was a real time like i wanted people to know where i was <laughs> you know like that was part of how i got validation like look where i'm eating look what i'm doing like it was all just like this look at me and finding ways to kind of brag about the things that i was doing and people would be upset with me over doing that. They felt disconnected from me and I, I would try to justify it all the time. So I, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen how I've disappeared and I've seen how other people have disappeared. And I've, I've seen the long-term impacts on some of my relationships. And it's fighting for it, fighting to stay connected, I suppose. Going back to Stolen Focus, actually the, the next highlight is the phrase, reconnect with something that matters to us. That's what I'm on a journey to do right now. That's why this book drew me in, is that I'm recognizing that I do feel disconnected from myself. As I mentioned in that Conflicted About Social Media episode, Like I feel confused about social media. I can't feel confused about my role with it. And part of me yearns to be like a few people I know in my life who don't use it. I can see myself getting there more and more. I'm slowly backing away from it. Now, in full transparency, I still consider social media a marketing tool that I am exploring and understanding for clients because that's how I generate most of my money these days. I have clients who hire me to help them with marketing. And as I've said before, my desire is to find an ethical way to market find a way that doesn't feel too rooted in capitalism. But there is some conflict and I'm still navigating that. It's not perfectly clear to me because I want to generate money for myself and I still feel drawn to social media. There, it's still an interest of mine, even though I don't want to use it that much personally or even like directly with my work. One thing I've been thinking a lot as I've been reading Stolen Focus is, what if I didn't use social media at all for for Wellevator, for the podcast? Like, is it necessary? And honestly, I don't think it is necessary. I don't want it to be necessary because I haven't found how it could bring me joy. I think that's why I put so much of social media on pause. It just doesn't bring me joy. It feels like it's stealing joy. But it feels scary to fully step away from it. I have this one friend who, ironically, I think I met through social media I've met a number of really great people. As you've heard through many guest episodes, if you've been listening to those, I find incredible people through social media and TikTok is a great place I find people. And, and I've been really pondering my usage of TikTok. I'm slowly trying to wean myself off of using it as much as I historically have, but I'm afraid of losing out on those connections because I cherish them. What would life be like without making those connections? I mean, if my goal really is to connect more and not less, how do I do that? Can I still achieve that in these meaningful ways without social media? That's ultimately what I'm trying to figure out. And books like Stolen Focused are are giving me these clues. (laughs) And I promise, I'm not reading these quotes before I make these statements, but they are somehow all lining up because (laughs) the next highlight in that book was, you're afraid of missing out. That's why you are checking your screen all the time. By doing that, you are guaranteeing you are missing out. You're missing your one and only life. You can't see the things that are right in front of you, the things that you've been longing to see. Now, I think that quote in the context was related to him being frustrated, the author being frustrated in that Elvis context. I think this is all still part of that same section of noticing people who are at Graceland where Elvis lived, his house, and how people at Graceland were on their screens looking at information about Graceland versus being at Graceland and looking around the physical place and how that experience opened his eyes to people's use of tech and looking on these screens. And I feel that frustration. Social media introduces us to things though. That's where the struggle is. For example, I talk a lot about how I find places to visit through social media. I use TikTok videos to find new places to travel. And I mark them down and I go to them. And then I experience what they're like in person. And I've really minimized how much I use social media with my travels. In fact, I rarely ever post about my travels anymore on social. I mostly talk about them here on the show because I don't want to be someone that's just taking photos for Instagram or making videos for TikTok because that takes me out of that moment. So this idea of the fear of missing out is hard because to the author's point, by checking your screen all the time because you're afraid to miss out on what the screen offers you, you guarantee you're missing out on what's beyond the screen. So it's almost like you can't have both. And maybe that's part of the challenge is wanting both. And I've been wondering, exploring in my life, where that balance is that makes me happy, brings me joy, where that balance is for my clients. One thing i I think a lot about and and part of my deep interest in these subject matters is that so many people have a surface level understanding of social media, meaning that a lot of people aren't even aware of what social media does to them and why they're drawn into it. If you were interested in that, I couldn't recommend Stolen Focus enough. I've only skimmed the surface of the book so far (laughs) because it goes deep into... How social media and, and a lot of tech in general is designed, and without that understanding, you may just be using it almost like a puppet type of thing, like you're the puppet moving around without realizing that their string is controlled by somebody else. like that's that's kind of how I view it. And having stepped away from a lot of it and looked at it and looked and reflected on the pros and cons of social media for myself. I see a lot of people making decisions on social media that don't seem very conscious, I suppose. Like when I'm hired for social media stuff, I see people wanting things that I don't really believe they can get. This just came up in an experience that I think I mentioned on a previous episode recently where one of my clients is looking to hire somebody to help with social media on a capacity that I'm not doing for them. But my role will be to guide this person in executing some things. And I work a lot in that capacity. I'm not sure how much I've shared this, but my two main clients right now have other employees and teams and I direct some of them and edit things and like just very involved with the whole process. And so I've seen how people approach it. And my role is often to come in and add my approach to it and have it up to a certain level. And thus, I've just seen that surface level of like people doing things almost like um, templated, going through the motions, looking at formulaic things, like using formulas, also very much like technology, you know, like... This is what I've seen a lot in social media of like people taking almost like a mathematical approach to it. Like if this, then that, this plus this equals this. But I, through my deep experience and research on social media, have a a strong feeling that this plus this doesn't always equal that. Sometimes it's this plus this, minus that, you know, like if you looked at it from a mathematical equation, a lot of people are not getting it right. The formula is flawed. And yet, as pointed out in Stolen Focus, many of us take the blame and internalize that without even realizing that the formula is flawed. We don't think the system is broken. We think we're broken. We think that we're doing something wrong. And that maybe if we just keep trying and trying the same formula that we will finally get the result that we are being promised. And that's where the manipulation has taken place. This is where having my history and evolution with social media and seeing it evolve along with my personal development, which again, with it being so intertwined, like my brain was still being formed as social media was being formed. So I was like drawn into the trap in a lot of ways through my desire for validation, my desire for connection and all that, like drawn it, pulled in. And then it continues to change. It's almost like entering into a relationship and you think it's going to be the same. And then over time you realize, no, the relationship's completely changed, but I've continued to be in something based on what it was in the beginning, if this makes sense. Right? So it's no longer what I signed up for, essentially, social media. It's no longer giving me the benefits and I'm changing too. And my self-awareness has grown. And what makes it hard is seeing that not everybody's self-awareness is at the same point. Not everybody has dug into the research And I think that alignment with a book like Stolen Focus is interesting because I I feel like the exact same thing happened to this author. I shouldn't say the exact same. A similar thing happened to the author who stepped away and did the research and suddenly went, oh, wait a second. I don't know if I want to be part of this anymore. I don't know if this benefits me anymore. I'm going to wrap up the episode soon, but I want to make sure to hit on, just in case I don't deeply cover this book again. Because I feel like I haven't even, because <laughs> so many of my own thoughts and experiences got woven into it, as often happens in these episodes. I want to just read off those 15 high, like, super highlights, I'll call them. So when, <laughs> when I'm highlighting a book, I will sometimes like add a star next to my favorite highlights, and there were 15 stars. So I am going to go see how quickly I can pull those up. Let's see here. I really wish I could read you every single highlight because that's how much I want to geek out, but it would probably take me hours. Okay. So the first one I gave a star to is depth takes time and depth takes reflection. If you have to keep up with everything and send emails all the time, there's no time to reach depth. Depth connected to your work and relationships also takes time. It takes energy. It takes long time spans and it takes commitment. It takes attention All of these things that require depth are suffering. It's pulling us more and more up onto the surface. It's pulling my mind how I'm speaking on things. And then the next quote I read feeds into that. And and this is the thing too. People tend to want to move through social media really quickly and get these big results. And I can tell you after all my experience on social media that social media results takes time. You do have to get results. And as he's pointing out, if results are connected to depth, you have to know that depth takes time and reflection. And if you're trying to keep up with everything all the time and go fast, there's no time to reach that depth. And if you're trying to build relationships, that takes time. Oh, gosh, that in itself is hitting me deeply. That's probably where my greatest wound is with social media, is that it's so surface level so it doesn't really feel like a relationship but people are trying to get to a result so quickly and i just feel like that's going to be my next big pondering at speeding through i mean that the wounds of people who have just speedily speedily <laughs> trying to quickly get to things i can't remember if i talked about this on the podcast but you know i was reached out to some by somebody recently who found a podcast episode and wanted to collaborate on something. And I thought that they were trying to give something to me. It felt very genuine in the way they approached me. And I I thought, wow, like that was really nice of them to offer this. Sure. And once I said yes, I realized they didn't just want to give something to me. They wanted to take something as well. They wanted me to give something to them, but I didn't know them yet. My intention was to get to know them through what they were giving me. I'm not sharing the specifics because I want to keep this private, but I was so taken aback by it, it almost felt like they wanted it to be reciprocated. And I thought, but I'm not ready to reciprocate yet. I don't want the expectation that just because you give something to me that I should give something back. That really triggers me. And I love generosity. I love giving things to people. I love being generous, but not at the condition of... It's like, if this, then that again, right? Like that formulaic and just the fact that this person so quickly asked something of me before even giving something to me had happened, made me feel like I couldn't trust them, made me less interested. I didn't even want to receive what they had offered to me in the beginning anyways. That happens so much and it's broken my heart truly, I think that's where the wounds of social media have happened for me of like, if it started off, if again, going back to what I signed up for, I signed up for connection and yes, I signed up for validation too. Didn't most of us, <laughs> you know, like we can say it's for connection and maybe for someone that's the only reason, but social media promises validation More and more so it has over time. Maybe in the early days of social media, we didn't realize that it was going to be so validating or so harmful. And it's just interesting, the manipulation, I think, that I've experienced through it, like on a personal level, but also the overarching level. The next quote I highlighted is, if we don't change course, we are headed towards a world where there's going to be an upper class of people that are very aware of the risks to their attention who find ways to live within their limits. And then there will be the rest of society with fewer resources to resist the manipulation. And they're going to be living more and more inside their computers, being manipulated more and more. That part really struck me too. And this section was coming from someone that the author was studying with or researching. This wasn't just the author's view. This was coming out of another conversation the author had with an expert. And it just struck me as... So disturbing. Like, what if we are separated? We're already separated by class. And I think most of us are unhappy with that. Unless you're in the upper class, the high level, you probably feel some sort of frustration, sadness, resentment because you're seeing other people get something or have access to something that you don't have. And we're so used to seeing that from a financial standpoint. But what if? there's also an upper class of people based on their awareness. Like what if awareness separates us? What if it already is separating us? Like I've noticed, I'm not trying to put myself in a quote upper class by saying this, but awareness, self-awareness is one of my skills, I suppose, because I am interested in that. Like I enjoy being aware. And so I continue working on that every day. And I want to see other people be aware too. I don't, It's kind of like the Matrix, you know, like taking the pills, choosing what path they're going to take, like maybe because it's a reference to the Matrix that's already been happening for a long time. And that makes me sad. It's like WALL-E, the movie, the Disney movie, WALL-E. I'd like to rewatch that. And I just remember the themes of the earth being destroyed and people just sitting on a floating ship (laughs) and being on their devices all the time. And that's all they do living more and more inside their computers being manipulated more and more i mean if you choose that path because you're aware i think that's very different than than not choosing that path because you're unaware third quote out of 15 the faster you make them go the less they will understand more speed means less comprehension i think meaning that we could be manipulated because things are happening so fast we're being encouraged to go fast and maybe there is a benefit to the people behind the machines controlling the strings, if you want to look at it that way, because they recognize that we are less powerful if we are less aware. We are less powerful if we have less comprehension. We're more prone to making mistakes and being controlled if we're going too fast to be able to pause to think about it the next quote, there's just a maximum limit for how quickly humans can absorb information and trying to bust through that barrier simply busts your brain's ability to understand it instead. How do you slow down in a world that is speeding up? That's one of my big questions. This one is a little out of context where the author is talking about a money-obsessed miser checking the status of his personal stocks and finding he was slightly richer than yesterday. It was as if I was saying to myself, see, more people are following you. You matter. I didn't miss the content of what they said. I just missed the raw numbers and the sense that they were growing. Meaning that when he took a break from social media, I think this was, again, hard to of context, but it was something around noticing that Many of us are so concerned about the validation, the follows, the likes, feeling like we matter. It's not about the content. It's about the numbers. And the next quote is that text, Facebook messages, phone calls are all little ways in which the world seems to say, I see you. I hear you. We need you. Signal back. Signal more. And now that the signals were gone when he took a break from technology, he felt like the world was saying that he didn't matter. I mean, mattering is part of what we sign up for. Do you still, I'm writing this down because this might be the title of the episode. Do you still matter? Do you still matter without technology? (laughs) That's an interesting thing to ponder. There's so much here. I feel like I don't want to blow through this too much. There's a section about Twitter. I believe. And how, oh, yeah, he goes through, the author goes through the different social media apps, the most popular, and, and what messages they convey to us. And he said the message at Twitter is that you shouldn't focus on any one thing for too long. The world can and should be understood in short, simple statements. The world should be in- interpreted and confidently understood very quickly. What matters most is whether people immediately agree with and applaud your short, simple, speedy, statements. A successful statement is one that lots of people immediately applaud. An unsuccessful statement is one that people immediately ignore or condemn. When you tweet before you say anything else, you are saying that at some level, you agree with these three premises. Wow. And it's funny, right? Because I was saying how I like Twitter or I did. (laughs) It's changed a lot in the last few months. But when I read those premises, I don't feel like I agree with them. And to Instagram, or maybe it was Facebook was the next one he shared. Your life exists to be displayed to other people. You should be aiming every day to show your friends edited highlights of your life. What matters is whether people immediately like these edited and carefully selected highlights you spend your life crafting. And somebody is your friend if you regularly look at their edited highlight reels and they look at yours. I don't agree with that either. And Instagram, not surprising. (laughs) Four premises of Instagram. One, what matters is how you look on the outside. Two, what matters is how you look on the outside. Three, what matters is how you look on the outside. Four, what matters is whether people like how you look on the outside. (laughs) Certainly my least favorite platform for that reason. (laughs) Oh, man. I want to... and there's a few more quotes, but they're just going in directions that I think don't serve at this point. But one that might end on a positive note is that a battery of scientific evidence shows that if you want to succeed in changing something, you should meet up with groups of people doing the same. This is part of the reason I created Beyond Measure, which is the private community I've been developing. And, and I think this book is adding more of value to that for me is I, I look at Beyond Measure as its own private community. It's a non-social media avenue. And I think it feels so much more rewarding than social media ever did for me. So if I decide to mostly or completely leave social media at some point, at least there's beyond measure. You know, when I was stating earlier, what would I be missing out on? maybe I wouldn't be missing out on anything because of all the time I've put into developing Beyond Measure. And if you're wondering the same thing and you align with me and these messages, most of the members do too. And so the positive side of, if you want to succeed in changing something, you should meet up with groups of people doing the same. That's been the core element of Beyond Measure is meeting up with people to just talk about these things. We have in the past explored doing some group activism or volunteering, and maybe that'll become a bigger part of it. Because the book on leaning towards solutions, which is the part I'm just getting into as I enter into the, the second half of it, is about how we actually can make a change. We can improve the Social media doesn't have to be the way that it's become. We can actually move it back to the direction that it used to be in, or we can opt out of it and choose other avenues, other communities We do have that power. We don't have to be in a place of not being aware. We can cultivate our awareness. We can avoid the manipulation. We can opt out and or we can change things. And I hope that I can stay active and working towards that. I mean, it's hard. It's a lot of energy. But at least I will stay aware and I will share my awareness and share the resources. And if you want to come talk about it, Beyond Measure is really the place I would like to have that conversation For quite a long time. I've been saying contact me via email or social media. And you can certainly try both. But it's email and social media are hard avenues for me, whereas Beyond Measure, we have a whole messaging system. So Beyond Measure is built on a community platform which is kind of like Facebook because you can message people privately in there and you can post publicly and have conversations and socialize. And then we meet once a week as a group and everybody is welcome to join and be there on video, audio, or just neither and and observe if they'd like and just hold the space. And I wouldn't be surprised in 2023, now you're listening in 2023 or beyond, But I'm still recording this in 2022. And I wouldn't be surprised if I turn off messaging on Instagram and I really reduce my email communications and my text communications and reserve phone calls and text messages to my super close friends and family and just guide people towards the Beyond Measure community. And and if they're not interested, then that's okay. But my desire with social media has been to be less concerned about those numbers. I don't need thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers. I don't even really want that. I want deep connections and not just with myself, but to cultivate that between other people too brings me great joy. So that is a prediction of mine for the coming year. Wondering if, if I can develop that sense of community deeper, I suppose. It's already there. Beyond Measure has a an amazing group of engaged people who have formed amazing friendships with each other and a support network. And I learn from them every single week. I'm just deeply blown away and nourished and energized by it all. So I think I'm just going to continue to lean into that and invite you into that. And the podcast will be here too, if you want more of a... <laughs> Uh, one-sided and less back and forth. That's the downside to a podcast right now. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. As mentioned, I will link to everything that I referenced in the show notes, which are written like a blog post so that you can go back and take in this information by text. If you want the links to Stolen Focus, to The Myth of Normal, to anything else that I reference in this episode, it's all there at wellevator.com and a link to Beyond Measure if you want to come check it out. Thank you for listening. I hope your 2023 is going great. And if you're listening beyond, which feels hard to imagine 2024 still feels so far away. Whenever you're listening to this, I hope things are going really well for you. And I'd love to connect with you if you feel compelled. Until next time, wishing you the absolute best with your life. I will be back on Friday with a guest and I hope to have you part of that too. Bye for now. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.